In a world where one woman locks herself inside a quiet studio and doesn't come out until the podcast is done, welcome to Spotlight Conversations with Donna Reed, a place you can get connected with Donna and her friends and listen in on some great conversation. Thankfully, unlike the intro you just heard, it's a drama-free zone. You're welcome. Now, as we listen to a bit of music from the amazing Mark Sparrow to lead us in, it's my pleasure to introduce the one, the only, Donna Reed. Thank you. Here we are, 2022, getting into the new year. Thank you for being a part of the show, doing a couple of things here and there. If you want to find out more, go to SpotlightConversations.com. Also follow me on Twitter at Donna Reed VO, Instagram Donna Reed VO, Spotlight Conversations. I'm over there on Instagram. Would love to have you follow. Would love to have you be a part of some of the updates that we do on Spotlight Conversations. All right. I'm in Houston today. My next guest created this amazing marketing gig of his very own. I believe he just woke up that way. Some people are just idea people from the very start. Aside from this immense marketing company he ran in Houston, he also hosts a podcast called Smokin' Joe's Driving Range. I'm talking to Joe Pogi in the studio today for the podcast. Thank you. Appreciate the invitation. Looking forward to this conversation. We also uh, hang out at HoustonRadioPlatinum.com. You run your podcast on Saturdays. I run mine on Sundays. Let's talk a little bit about the station. Now, you're a radio guy, and we'll talk about your radio career, but um, what do you think about these internet stations popping up everywhere? They're addressing a void in the entertainment world. Um, mm-hmm. I think that radio over the years, when they deregulated and consolidation happened, the amount of money that was put in to buy the signals early, I think a lot of focus went from creativity to accounting. And as that happened, you saw stations becoming more and more niched so that, you know, the the music was very, very, you know, sniper fired and mm-hmm. um, they weren't going for the mass numbers. They were just going for a specific. They wanted to be able to walk in and say, if you want men 21 to 25 years old that are some college educated and, you know, disposable income, we got them. Well, that, that's they can do that now. Uh, but I think what they miss out on is the old radio that was local and had creativity. And they did things that um, entertained people, made people, they set their clocks to radio. And now, you know, technology has changed a lot. You know, in, the, in my days of radio, we didn't really have morning TV. Morning TV is huge business now. Uh, people wake up to their TV rather than the radio. On the flip side of that, people are tuning into radio more in the afternoons hmm. because they're in their car. And But now they have choices. They have podcasts. They have MP3. They have you know a whole slew of things all created by this new gadget called a cell phone. Anyway, so I think Houston Radio Platinum is addressing a need, and that is it's, it's giving back local. It's giving back personality. It's giving back some fun. Uh, and also, if you look at what their um, their tagline is, hits of the 70s, 80s, and 90s, they have a, a whole rainbow of music that they can select from. So that the listeners, you know, if you're sitting there, all of a sudden you could be listening to a Springsteen song, and then you have, 
the, the tubes come up, and then all of a sudden you get a Willie Nelson song followed by Michael Jackson, and then Earth, Wind, and Fire. And it's 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 a great mix, and um, so I, I'm really through, thrilled with it. And I think I think there's a huge demand. I think people want to hear more about their city, and they want to be entertained. Um, if you look at late night TV, mm-hmm. the Jimmy Fallon's of the world. Mm-hmm. Well, if you look at their resume, they're old time radio guys. They are. And if you watch their shows, they're doing old time radio shtick. Oh, I Letterman mean, did. They, I mean, Letterman yeah. was one too. So yeah, if you go back to the '80s in Houston. Radio was probably at its peak, especially in this city. You had the, the, the morning shows included the Q Zoo, Stevens and Pruitt, Moby. Uh, Pooch, by the way, his sportscaster was Hannah Storm, who's now the mm-hmm. probably the number one voice over on ESPN. Mm-hmm. Um, you had uh, uh, Joe Ladd on Kick. You had Lee Jolly on KFMK. You had uh, the Snowman over on Magic. Uh, the list goes on and on. You had such a wealth of talent and every morning these shows were getting up and they were going in at 6 a.m to win an audience and you don't have that anymore don't you also think there's a lot of people out there that did radio morning drive afternoon drive they may not be doing commercial radio anymore but they still have the desire and that passion for radio once it's in your system it's hard to leave it they want to do something with all that talent. They've had a lot of experience in radio. Do you think that's the reason internet stations are popping up? Yes. Uh, first of all, you don't need an antenna. You don't need a license. You just do it. And I think I think anybody that has ever had a career in radio, especially on the programming side, mm-hmm. once it's in your blood, it's in your blood. I mean, that's why I still do it. You know, I, I, I just... I, I did, you know, I, I had a great mentor named John Lander from the Q Morning Zoo, mm-hmm. and I'll never forget a quote that he gave me. He says, "If you're really good at radio and creativity, you can make a person get out of bed in the middle of July and run to the window to see if it's actually snowing." <laughs> right. You uh, were the marketing director for Mix 96.5 and the Buzz here in Houston, and you've done some work with the Houston Arrows and the Houston Texans. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But it all started as you were the marketing guru, the marketing guy at 93Q and the Q Morning Zoo. And Houston, as most big markets are, are very competitive. How did you differentiate those stations from other morning shows? Well, the Q Zoo, a couple of things. Um... If you go back to one of the marketing philosophies of the people that were behind McDonald's, their philosophy always was to get to the corner and be first. <laughs> and um, it, with the Q Zoo, we came in, and the first thing we realized is that this town did not have a top 40 radio station. They didn't have any of the top 40 music. They didn't have any of the shtick and the contesting and the fun that goes with top 40 radio and top 40 personalities. Mm-hmm. So there's a huge void. So we went on July 2nd of 1982 on 790 AM at 79Q. By the end of December, we were a top five radio station in Houston, Arbitron. And uh, the, the the Hard Hanks, Gary Eden's broadcast company, mm-hmm. uh, in January, they switched the, uh, uh, the easy station that they had and they made SFM. So we became uh, 93Q Morning Zoo and we simulcast for a while. Uh, so, you know, with that, uh, you know, what we did was we played Top 40, uh, which is a uh, which is a format geared to get very young teen audience quickly. Mm-hmm. And then number two, if you get a teen audience, you most likely have their mom. 
And so <laughs> we became very dominant with teens and women, especially at the age of uh, 21 to 35, 21 to 44. We're in the car um, together. Yes. Well, exactly. And if you're a mom, how do you keep the kids quiet? Let them listen to what they want to listen to. Well, there's other ways, Joe, but yeah, that's one of them. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and, and, and so what we did is we started doing heavy contesting. Back then, there was a proven uh, equation that the type of e- contesting you did, it, it got listeners to listen. Mm-hmm. And so we came up with a lot of different gimmicks from the simple ones with the concert tickets and the event tickets to big cash giveaways. We, we had a team. We, we really had a Super Bowl team uh, there. We had uh, Pete Schulte was GM, mm-hmm. John Lander. Mm-hmm. You had the Morning Zoo people, Jackie Robbins, Cleet Dumpster. Bob King, you had uh, myself, you had Ron Parker in the afternoons, right. and together we we just had this this energy and this desire, and we had the management that said, "Go have fun," and boy, did we have fun! I mean, we just—I mean, I'll never forget the very first day we went air, we offered fifty dollars cash to every person that showed up at the studio between six a.m. and nine a.m. with underwear on their head. And we did, I believe we did like $1,000. <laughs> you got to find some underwear that will fit your head. Exactly. Too, you got to make sure they're clean. Right. You know, the two important. Only a marketing guy would think like that. Maybe after the fact. Yeah. <laughs> so, we, you know, we did this. And then also, if you think about it, if you're some kind of a guy that's in TV news or even at the Chronicle, mm-hmm. and your teenager tunes you onto a station that's teasing the fact that they're going to debut the next morning at 6 a.m. And if you got underwear on your head, they're going to give you 50 bucks. You may sit there, scratch your head, and says, you know, if it's a slow news day, this exactly. might be pretty funny to see people. <laughs> and so that's the other thing. We, we geared a lot of stuff to uh, for media, and it worked. The other thing that we did is we seized the moment. Um, so like in 1986, we had um, – in fact, this was, I believe, one of the very first viral marketing campaigns in the mm-hmm. nation. Uh, the Rockets beat, were in the Western Division semifinals. They're playing L.A. Mm-hmm. They had two games out there. They win both games. The second game was the famous Ralph Sampson, the eyes closed That's shot. Right. Yeah. The next morning, Wednesday morning, we had Steve Patterson, general manager of the Rockets, on the Q Zoo with John Lander and myself and Jackie and Cleet. And I asked the question to Steve. I said, what do our listeners need to do to beat – the rock the lakers and he hesitated he said we need to learn from jack nicholson you need to get to game early you wear the gear you sit in your seat you yell at the refs you cheer you on your team and you don't leave until the buzzer ends the game and i said cool we'll just give everybody jack nicholson sunglasses so this is this is Wednesday morning. The game is Friday night. So a I had to find sixteen thousand Jack Nicholson sunglasses in the middle of April, um, <laughs> and try to get them cheap. Uh, but all of a sudden, there was a bank at Buffalo Speedway in fifty nine that had a gold dome, and they put a basketball over their their roof with sunglasses on it. Uh-huh. Another company put a billboard up with a bouncing basketball with sunglasses on it. Southwest Airlines started giving people arriving into Houston sunglasses at the gate. Uh, the Chronicle did front page photos of our DJs wearing sunglasses. ABC 13 called and they wanted to do live at five from the summit with the sunglasses and with us and everything. Um, I got a photo of the entire Houston Rockets basketball team in uniform with sunglasses on it. Uh, we won the game. The next day, there's a photo of Jack Nicholson at the game with sunglasses and with a kid with sunglasses. All of a sudden, it grew. Snowballed, yeah. Yeah, yeah and yeah. Uh, and this is also the magic of radio. 
how is someone wearing sunglasses like Jack Nicholson going to help the team? Well, the gimmick's not going to do it, but it gets everybody into the mood. It gets yeah. a feeling. It gets a good feeling, That's and it gets true. a buzz. And then, then, then what happens is, if you weren't at the game, but I was, and the next day I'm wearing the sunglasses. What am I going to talk to you about? Oh yeah, I was at 93Q's Jack Nicholson glasses last. You know, and, and so it just kind of grows. And so in '88, Springsteen was coming through town with his Born in the USA uh, tour. Mm-hmm. We're on the air, and we sit there and we start talking about going to the show. Our offices are next to the summit, and we all said, "Oh, but you know what? He does marathon shows." You know, he goes on at eight. He might not get done till midnight. We gotta be back on the air at six twelve. Anyway, long story short, the next morning, go in, go on the air. So they go, "Wow, we left." What time did you leave? I said I left at eleven ten. I left at eleven. Wow. Well, well Archer was gonna stay till the end. He's gonna call us and give us a full update. Well, we had this all pegged. Archer calls in. Basically, Archer's talking, and you can hear "Born in the USA" playing behind him. It's incredible, John. He's still playing. Yeah. He yeah. took a break at midnight. But he came back on. He's still playing. And so we ran this. And then about, uh, now you got to keep, this is 88. So there's no cell phones, right? Mm-hmm. So about 845, because right next to the summit, Mike McGee, president of the summit, I get a message from the front desk that he's at the front desk. And I go out and I go, Mike! He goes, Joe, I'm not happy. I go, Mike, what's wrong? Joe, your, your Springsteen marathon? I said, yeah. He goes, I got over 500 people over at the summit demanding to get back inside. And I said, oh, wow. And I said, okay, Mike, here's what we're going to do. I want to take you back so you can go in and tell later. He's got to tell everybody it's a joke. Because if I go back and tell him what you just told him, he's going to do this even more. And so we put Mike McGee on. Uh, 10.30 that day, I get a call, and it's Mike McGee. And I go, hey, Mike, how are you? He goes, Joe, I am not happy. I said, Mike, you helped us stop the joke. He says, I've been on the phone with Disney for the last 30 minutes explaining that the reason we haven't sold a single ticket for their Ice Capade show that went on sale today no. is because our phones are blocked with everybody either oh. wanting their money back or wanting to get into the Bruce Springsteen Marathon concert. Well, it's a success. I'd, I'd call that campaign a success. Well, the, the thing about it is that's what radio is. It's the creativity. It's yeah. making people sit there and go, wow, wow. is this actually – I mean, think about it. No, no concert's going to go all night. Common sense. The artist couldn't handle it. I mean, but but in mind, if you do it right on the radio, yeah, it's such a magical tool. But don't. But today, there's just so many ways to be creative. So it's just really hard to pull something like that off. But what 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 you do if you're in the corporate world and you're in radio, you look for the talent. Yeah. Right. Okay. Oh, for sure. Taylor Swift, Billy Joel came out the other day. He says she's like the new Beatles. I mean, yeah. who knew this when this girl started at the age of what, 17, 16? Really so young. you just got to look for the talent. They're yeah, out and there. Yeah, they're out there. Yeah. And then, oh. then they nurture them. And then nurture them. Well, before radio, like when you were growing up, did you like advertising and marketing and behind the scenes? And did you know you'd end up doing something like this for a living? No. What um, what I realized was I was one of those Americans in the around 64, 65 that I sat down on my living room floor on a Sunday night and we turned on the Ed Sullivan show and I saw the Beatles. And I sat there in my head and said, I want to be on a stage like that. Uh, and all of a sudden, as my career started developing and I started realizing doing events and doing promotions and coming up with ideas – 
I was on the stage again. Nobody knew who I was necessarily because I was behind the scenes. But to sit there and see something created that has a response is very rewarding. I mean, it, it's some people will, will probably sit there and tell, say I'm crazy, but no. I can go through memories and tell you things, and there's not a dollar in the world that could replace them. I mean, it's they're just great memories, like Nicholson glasses, and right? Bruce Springsteen marathon. You've done radio. You're still in radio with Houston Radio Platinum. You've got your podcast. You also like sports, and I see you were the marketing guy for the Houston Arrows and still with the Houston Texans. How did you go from, you know, radio? I guess we're all connected because it's all media, but tell us how that started. Yeah, it was 1993. My good friend Steve Patterson was general manager of the Houston Rockets, and they got sold by Charlie Thomas to Les Alexander. And the same, this is very common in sports when a new ownership takes over basically he cleans house and brings his people in mm-hmm. so steve got fired and uh, at thanksgiving time we were having a family dinners together and i said to steve i said uh, are you going to sit on the beach and just take the money that less owes you on your contract through the end of next year or what are you gonna do he goes i found a loophole as long as i don't do basketball he has to pay me so i found some guys who are going to start a hockey team I said, a hockey team? NHL? No, no, IHL. I go, IHL, what's that? Well, it's a minor league division, but it's really cool, and we're going to use that to go get us an NHL team. I said, cool. He goes, what do you know about hockey? I said, well, drop a puck, start a fight. He says, good, good, good. Come be my marketing director. He sat there, and he said, uh, so we talked, and I said, you know what? I've done this in radio. I've done that in radio. This would be a whole new adventure. I'm going to have the summit as my stage. Let's do it. And... Uh, 1994, we dropped the puck for the Houston Arrows, and we averaged over 15,000 a game our first season. And we did some unbelievably crazy promotions. I was a firm believer that if I could trick somebody into buying a ticket and coming into a game, the game would sell the product themselves. When you go to a hockey game, it's different than football, basketball, or anything else. In person, it is a fantastic game. And by the way, one of the biggest fans are women. Yeah, I can see that. And when you go to a game, the first fans that stand up when the fights start are women. <laughs> so, so that's how I got into hockey. And we were, we, were, we were doing the hockey to actually do a live sales pitch to get an NHL team. Mm-hmm. In 1997, we made our pitch to the NHL. We came up a, uh, uh, a couple of votes short. And... Um, they went to Minneapolis and they went to Columbus, Ohio, and we were kind of the odd guys out. So, Nixon Buzz had been calling, Nationwide had been calling, and uh, Patterson and I talked. He says, Hey, listen, we're not going to get the hockey team. I've got some plans, but go take this gig. And so, he helped me negotiate my radio deal. I got a good radio deal. And then consolidation happened. And uh, Patterson went, as we went for the hockey team, when we went for the hockey team, you know, that back then the hockey teams were costing close to $100 million. And, uh, so the money that was behind us to get the hockey team was a gentleman named Bob McNair. And when we didn't get the hockey team, he turned to Patterson and said, he goes, you know what? Let's go get us an NFL team. So in 1999, I was um, still working for Clear Channel, and I kind of re- realized what the writing on the wall was. They mm-hmm. knew what a AE was, and they knew what a secretary was, and they knew what a <laughs> engineer was, but they had no idea what a pogey was. And... Um, <laughs> So I said to Patterson, he said, hey, you're going to get you're going to get an NFL team one of these days. I, I'll, I'll stay in radio till you get it. And then, you know, I'll come be your marketing. He goes, nah. 
said, no. He says, Joe, I made your deal with radio. All the money in football goes to the players on the field. I said, really? He goes, I said, well, I'm thinking about starting an agency. He goes, you start an agency, and I'll hire you when we need you. So I started uh, Strike Marketing in um, July of 1999. Labor Day of uh, 1999, Patterson was at my house. He says, listen, it's time we talk and do a what-if plan. And I had a signed contract from him and Bob. And we, they were one of our first clients on October 6th of 1999. Paul Tagliabue went on TV live from Atlanta and said, and the 32nd NFL team goes to Bob McNair in Houston. Today I'm in the studio with Joe Pogi, host of Smoke and Joe's Driving Range podcast, also the owner of Strike Marketing. And uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you just recently sold the company. Is that true? Yes, I did. Um, I sold in August to my partner, Sherry Oaken. Um, came through the COVID first round. Uh, excellent. We actually, you know, we picked up some really good business. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as we came into this year, uh, in April, we were hired to put butts in seats for the national tour of Cirque du Soleil in the United States. Oh, nice. And two weeks later, we got a call and got hired by the Houston Ballet. But uh, still, Cirque du Soleil and Houston Ballet, I mean, you're, you're staying busy. I mean, you were at the time. Yeah, all we, yeah the strike has, uh, I mean, Houston Symphony, Houston Ballet, Theater of the Stars, Houston Zoo, Cirque du Soleil. In July, in May, we had we were hiring four people that would put our staff up to fourteen, mm-hmm. and uh, we go, "Where are we putting them?" I said, "Well, we could put two people in my office." And Sherry says, "Well, where are you going to office at?" I go, "Well, just like the rest of the world, I've been officing from home for the last two years, basically, <laughs> right. and I'm the only one that's been coming in the office." And so I said, "All I need is the conference room or the kitchen bar and my laptop, and I'm set." And I said, that's "Besides sad. that, you know, I'm turning sixty-five in July, and you know, starting to think about retiring." And she laughs. She goes, you think about retiring? I said, yeah, you know, you get these letters every month from Social Security and Medicare saying it's about time. <laughs> and, uh, and she says, well, if you think about retiring, I'll give you X for your part of the company. I said, then I'm retiring. So we we, we shook hands and that happened uh, end of August and September the 1st. Four of the clients called and said that they weren't, strike wasn't their fit, that I was. So I guess I've started a new agency and I've got four or five clients and they include Omni Houston, the Westin Hotel, Med Center, uh, Frost Bank, Rebuilding Together, a nonprofit organization that is just really good, and uh, the North Houston Redevelopment. So you're not retiring for a while. Sounds like you were. No, I don't think so. So I, I've, I basically, I think I've gone from like the 60-hour week to the 25-hour week. That's nice, though. That's a good oh. week hour. Are you doing some charity work, too? Yes. Um, I'm just wrapping up my role as president of the Art Colony Association, which produces the two Bayou City Art Festivals. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking into a new organization that's asked me to work with them called the Levitt Foundation. Okay. Uh, it's a rather, rather neat foundation. They find underdeveloped pieces of property around the country and they buy them and then they build musical amphitheaters on them that provide uh, the community entertainment throughout the year. What if we put an amphitheater right over behind Westbury on this really cool outdoor water retention park that was really community driven? And all of a sudden, we were able to expose that entire side of the city to jazz, blues, rock, hip hop uh, from the amateurs. And then every now and then bring in professional acts that, you know, so the, I mean, I, it kind of goes along the same like with rebuilding together the nonprofit that I also work with, you know, their whole mission is to help rebuild the homes of low income senior citizens, veterans, and the disabled. Um, 
you know, if you go over to like Independence Heights, Independence Heights is a part of Houston historically that was where the African-Americans were allowed to buy land when the city was made. They couldn't buy Houston, so they bought it up in Independence Heights, and that's how it got its name. So the majority of the homes up there had been passed from generation to generation to generation in the families. But in some aspects, they haven't been able to keep up with the maintenance of the homes. Well, you don't want that to leave the family, and you don't want that kind of community to be gone, so rebuilding together kind of helps save those neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Because, I mean, if you look around Houston, Houston's changed a lot. The developers are realizing people don't want to live 45 minutes out. So all of a sudden, you have Midtown. You've got right. Washington Avenue. You've yeah. got the Heights. You've got Garden Oaks. Uh, you got all these, you know, now you got Edo. You know, Edo's becoming strong. So, you know, our city's kind of changing. And, uh, but we need to maintain some of the, what it was built on. Oh, Joe, it sounds like you've taken What If and turned it into a very successful media career. And I just thank you very much for coming in on the podcast. I've learned a lot about hockey, music, diamonds in the rough, all of those. <laughs> well, thank you. It's it's fun. It's and I've been very blessed with my life, and I've got a great family, and they support me. And you know, it's uh, just maximize every day. And you know, the other thing that's real important is surround yourself. Always think of putting together a Super Bowl team. Yes. You know, and uh, I've been very fortunate that I've been invited to be on some incredible Super Bowl teams in my career. And uh, hopefully I've uh, been able to let others in on that team as well. Thank you, Joe. Continued success. I've enjoyed it today. Thank you. Happy New Year. Be safe, be good and enjoy it. You've been listening to Spotlight Conversations with Donna Reed. Subscribe on Apple and Spotify podcasts or your favorite platform. Thanks for tuning in.